0: This is a Nerd Blitz special report. We go now live to Doom and Fitz. Hey gang, you're listening to a very special .5 episode of the Nerd Blitz with Doom and Fitz. I'm Doom, and you'll be hearing from Fitz in just a minute. Um, This is a quick intro to explain what this episode is and why you're getting it now. Basically, back in 2015, I was doing... These things on my site, tsdjproductions.wordpress.com, that I called Typecast. The whole idea was it's a print podcast. I would interview fuckers and edit it together and throw them up there for your reading pleasure. I got, Fitz did a shit ton of them with me, as we'll get into in a minute. Sherry took part in one, Groupie took part in one or two, Spider Scooby did a couple with me also. A bunch of other people as well. With the ninth one, I got this harebrained idea that Fitz and I should do it and then record our halves of the conversation, and he would edit it together back and forth and make it seem like an actual podcast, like we had recorded it together. So what follows is episode nine of the typecast, which, fun fact, went up April 20th, 2015, which less than a year later, we launched this, the Nerd Blitz. So that's a pretty cool little piece of trivia for you. But the subject of this installment of the typecast was we watched the season 2 finale of Star Wars The Clone Wars, which was focused around Boba Fett, and um, we just bullshitted about that. And as you'll hear, Fitz took the lead on it, and it's a pretty decent conversation, but forgive us, because it does sound a little stiff and stilted because we weren't actually recording how we record this It was literally us reading our halves of the conversation and then he married those two halves and cut them together and made it flow better, which I know is rough. At the time, he put music underneath it so it would sound a little better and give you a little more oomph than just us boring fucking solo recordings of like fucking... At first, I thought it seemed strange that he would just blow it all to hell. So my first line from it. But anywho, that's what this is. Really the first podcast we ever did together, the first thing we recorded together, though it was apart. Anywho, real quick, our thank yous, as usual, go to at the J Sarge, at Sherry Says, at J P Montgomery, and at Looking for a Our stuff, go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or part of the High Altitude Podcast Network at highaltpod.net, and find everything we do at nerdblitz.com. Get yourself some merch by going to people slash nerdblitzpod slash shop. Go to tsdjaproductions.bandcamp.com, and get the Camping Trip the Pilots or the Laughing Bird for 5 4 or $3 each, and... I'm at the Scooby-Doom Fitz is at FitzMan73 and together we're at Nerd Blitz Pod. So, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Come back next time our sanity depends on it.
1: So today we're going to be discussing the season 2 finale of Star Wars The Clone Wars, which hard to believe aired 5 years ago now, way back in April 2010. As you could tell by the intro, this is actually not just the season finale, but also the finale of a 3 episode storyline. So before we jump into the episode proper, I wanted to touch on one of the biggest revelations for me in the first two episodes of this arc, which is Jango Fett's helmet that Boba kept after the Battle of Geonosis was destroyed when Boba Fett blows up a Republic cruiser attempting to kill Mace Windu. So for the 8 years between Attack of the Clones and when this episode aired, I, and I'm sure a lot of other people, lived under the assumption that it was Jango's armor that we see repainted and battle-damaged in Empire Strikes Back. But, not so it appears. What did you make of that?
0: At first I thought it seemed kind of strange that he would just blow it all to hell, but he was using it to taunt Mace. So to destroy it with Mace, or so he thought, it's kind of symbolic of him moving on. I bet he was pissed when Mace made it out alive though.
1: Yeah, I like that theory. There was quite a bit of debate when this first aired whether or not it really was Jango's or just a copy. I might be wrong, but I feel like Dave Filoni at one point confirmed that it absolutely was Jango's. Okay, getting into the episode itself, Aura Singh and her gang have taken the survivors of that cruiser hostage, and it's not long before we see how weak Boba Fett is. Maybe not weak exactly, but definitely not the hardened killer that we assume he becomes in the future. He's clearly not comfortable with the way this plot is going, definitely not okay with taking hostages, especially when Aura starts smacking the shit out of them. He's very much a scared 10-year-old boy in this episode who's really lost control of the situation. What'd you think about this little twist to the character? It would have been so easy to indulge in fan service and make him this bad seed kid from the very beginning, but I think they did a really nice job of showing that squeamishness and making him a sympathetic character instead of just a bad guy.
0: And the last thing you said completely nailed it. They had to make him a sympathetic character. Let him be the hardcore, icy-veined, stone-cold badass later. It's far less interesting to have little bouncing baby Boba blast the fool's brains all over the sky. This way, it makes you wonder what happened. How did he go from this hurt kid that just wanted to get back at one guy to the dude that, based on the theory you showed me a while back on Twitter, murdered a shitload of was burnt down Luke's home, and crisped up his family? I guess one could make the argument that he followed in Django's footsteps in a sad attempt to be closer or more like him, but we don't know. It could be anything. So yeah, they could have taken the easy way out and made him the Boba we know from the original trilogy, but instead they took the much more interesting path and set up a multitude of future episodes.
1: I also found it really interesting how he reacts to the clone officers that they have as hostages. Did you notice how disgusted he was with them, and how quick he was to say he was nothing like them? I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it, but he genuinely hates the clones who are basically his brothers. It's easy to forget because he's only part of the Star Wars saga for a very brief moment that all these clones are Jango Fett. They are Boba Fett. And for a kid who saw his father, the only person he had in the world, killed in front of him, can you imagine what it must be like for him to see thousands upon thousands of his dead father's face everywhere he turns? That's gotta fuck with your head. Especially when all these guys are taking orders from the man who, in Boba's eyes, murdered their collective father.
0: That was the one thing I was gonna bring up. It was pure, unadulterated disgust. I found that fucking fascinating and I have no clue why. It's gotta be the worst kind of mind fuck ever imagined. His dad is basically a slave to his own murderer. I mean, talk about pissing on the dude's grave, there's no better example of that. But, I think Boba can and does distance himself from them because of the way the long necks screwed with the DNA. Keep in mind, while Boba is 10 to 15 years old in that episode, those clones are half of that. He may see that as a way to justify that these creatures, and based on how he reacts to them, that's how he looks at them, are not him, are not his father, are not even human.
1: I think you're totally right he views the clones as creatures not humans at all i think that's probably the only way he can deal with that mindfuck he's definitely a troubled kid and he's not exactly surrounded by a healthy support system to help him work through his issues you've basically got aura singh the mommy dearest psychopath mother figure costas the grizzled old Nikto ready to turn on them at the first sign of trouble and Bosk, a six foot five lizard who does a disturbing tongue slither like hannibal lecter when he talks quite the nuclear family but before we get too far into the bounty hunters we just talked about how sympathetic they made boba in this arc could they have made mace windu any less sympathetic the guy is a completely aloof douchebag Anakin even confronts him about not actually going after this kid aggressively and bringing him to justice and until they start executing hostages mace is kind of like meh not my problem but dude it's completely your problem it couldn't be more your problem he was never my favorite character but episodes like this really drive home how truly unlikable he can be
0: Totally, and on top of it all, the poor kid has to deal with the shadow of Django, even when he's not around the clones. Everybody's always telling him how great and honorable Django was. The kid has his crushing weight on his shoulders that as far as he knows he's never gonna live up to. It's funny, for the longest time I actually thought I liked Mace. I'd considered him one of my favorite Star Wars characters, but I recently read the Shatterpoint novel and came to the realization that that was bullshit. I just like Sam Jackson. Mace is a complete dick in almost everything except the movies, but even there he has moments of being a huge cock-knocker. Speaking of Mace, in that early scene where he and Anakin are in the med center and in a few places later on, did you notice the lighting? It's real moody, mysterious, and noir feeling.
1: Yeah, they make really good use of lighting all the way through the series, and it keeps getting better every year. They're able to create some really cool atmospheric shots for just a cartoon.
0: And there is a certain detective feel in the lighting that, even when they aren't hunting for a clue or a suspect, gives you this feeling that some shit is coming down
1: the road i think you're right it's the sam jackson pimp factor that makes them at all likable in the films and not saying tc carson does a bad job voicing him in this show in fact i'm probably more saying he does a great job because what we see in the clone wars is really what mace is intended to be cold aloof very much don't bother me with all this nonsense he is the absolute anti-anakin he's especially cold and distant with anakin and that ultimately is the death of him
0: yeah, especially in the EU. He just comes off how you'd think Yoda would and should. He acts like, ugh, I've seen all this shit before. It's not that hard, guys. Go deal with this shit, kid. Not the compassionate Jedi he should be. Carson does a great job at that.
1: So back to the bounty hunters. They finally send Mace a message that if he doesn't come to face them, they're going to start killing hostages. Were you surprised that when Ara orders Boba to execute one of the officers, he couldn't do it? I actually found myself in that moment where he's trying to make himself pull the trigger, saying to myself, Don't do it, kid. Again, they make him sympathetic. He's horrified when Aura just callously puts a bolt through the guy's head. You get to see that he's realizing there's no honor in this revenge. It's not the way his father would have handled it. This is cowardly and he doesn't like it. I feel like he'd have no problem killing Mace. Yes, people have died because they were in his way, i.e. the crew that died on that cruiser when they blew it up, but using hostages and just executing defenseless prisoners is not cool.
0: I was a little surprised, but based on how clear he made it in the previous two episodes that he just wanted Mace, I'm not sure why I was, even with his disgust for clones. And was it just mere or did Aura a killing that clone come off as even more brutal because it was off screen? I think there was a lot of brutality in this ep. Something else I wanted to mention, and this sort of goes to the two points you just made. One about Honor and the other about it being just a cartoon. Everybody, including Hondo... A goddamn space pirate that was crushing farmers on a dirt planet for their crops earlier in the season keeps telling Boba about honor. It's all just honor, honor, honor. That can be heavy shit to deal with as a kid just trying to make his way in the verse. Funny for a show that a lot of folks wrote off as kid shit early on.
1: Yeah, it was definitely more brutal being off-screen and seeing the juxtaposition of her face next to Boba's reaction. Just the sinister evil look on her face and him almost cowering in the background. It's almost like an abusive parent situation. She's the only family he has. He trusts her, relies on her, but he's also scared shitless of her.
0: He probably thinks if he dishonors her or something, he'll end up with a bolt through his head too. So much fear running through that kid, it's insane. Almost like he's a prince trying to do right by the crown.
1: This episode had some really dark elements in it, the execution being one, and then something I was going to bring up next, the way they just jettison the guy's body and we see it floating through space. That was pretty rough for a kid's show, and easily the most brutal sequence of the series up to this point. In fact, this whole arc was, I think, where everyone started to realize this shit really isn't for kids necessarily, is it?
0: Yeah, that was fucked up. When dealing with bounty hunters, it appears brutality is the name of the game.
1: I think this is maybe the point where they intentionally began steering the show down a darker path in response to fan reaction. The first season was filled with some pretty bland, if not downright lame stuff, obviously aimed at a younger audience. But after a while, it starts to skew decidedly older and darker to the point in later seasons where there are some episodes that go almost too far.
0: I would agree with that to an extent, but keep in mind that episode with Nadar Veb or the Ryloth episodes. That shit wasn't light and fluffy.
1: No, those weren't light and fluffy, but they were pretty normal battle scenes. The things I'm talking about in future episodes go beyond just clones getting shot. I just mean there's definitely a swing toward more adult themes as the series goes along.
0: I'll have to take your word for it as far as future episodes go, but I thought Nadar's death was a little brutal too.
1: So with the execution of the first hostage, Mace is finally like, okay, I guess we have to catch these people now. But since he's still recovering from his last encounter with the bounty hunters, they have to send Plo Koon, voiced by the very talented James Arnold Taylor, to figure out where these guys are hiding out before more hostages die. Obviously, when you're on Coruscant and you want to find scum and villainy, where do you go? The underworld. The deepest levels of Coruscant. We've always heard about how Coruscant is literally layers and layers of cities on top of each other, and I think we might have seen a little bit of that earlier in this season in the Lightsaber Lost episode, but this is the first time we get to see the lowest depth of the planet. What did you think of Plo and Ahsoka's trip to the lower depths, and how in the hell does anyone navigate that city slash planet? It's a commuter's nightmare.
0: I'm talking about the layers of it. It makes me a wee bit sad that we didn't get that 1313 game that was much hype. I think that would have been a great look at Coruscant, which is indeed a confusing nightmare with even more crazy shit on it than you probably realize. I think the Plo Ahsoka stuff is the highlight of this episode. There's so much depth in that, and not just in the animation. The sound design, the effects, all of it's just amazing. But to beat that dead horse just a little bit more, I love when they go detective. Little Soka and Master Plo have such a great relationship that it's like a mixture of noir detective and buddy cop movies.
1: Yeah, I really like their relationship. There's an episode in season 5 that deals with younglings, and there's a really brief flashback during a montage where you see him meeting with her as a tiny little toddler.
0: Really? That's cool, I have to look for that on the YouTubes.
1: I like seeing them work a case, so to speak, the way they interact with the public, and I think, too, here for the first time you get a taste of how the average person is already sick of the war and sick of the Jedi. Public opinion is already turning. That bartender is totally dismissive of Lokun's questioning, and they very nearly find themselves in an all-out gunfight. Yes, these are criminal types and lowlifes, but not really the hard boys that you'd think would have absolutely no fear of the Jedi.
0: I wouldn't say they feel sick of the Jedi. I think they feel more ignored. They seem to have the feeling that unless there's a major battle, these assholes with the flashy blades just don't give a shit, which is exactly what Sidious wants people to think. I think one of the Karen Miller Clone Wars novels hinted that Sidious was using the Hollow net to make it seem that the Jedi have been neglecting their homeworld just to win the war. Did that bar scene at all remind you of the club scenes from Batman Beyond?
1: You know, I never got into Batman Beyond, but I can see that.
0: It definitely was not my favorite of the DC UA shows, but it's one that I do fondly remember.
1: Yeah, Sidious is a master of propaganda. He sets all this stuff up and then publicly he's like, oh, the Jedi are so great, etc, etc, so that people will never suspect he's the one behind all the misrepresentation of the Jedi.
0: A master manipulator and double talker as well. That's why I wish they'd do DTV movies and adapt some of the EU. Darth Plagueis would be an awesome movie showing how manipulative Sidious truly is.
1: I liked how Plo Koon points out that Ahsoka has been picking up bad habits from Anakin, namely his impulsive shoot-first-ask-questions style of operating, but it's that same unconventional style that saves their asses when they're cornered by thugs in the bar and battle royals about to break out.
0: That's a given. When you spend that much time with somebody learning how to be a Jedi, it'd be more shocking if she wasn't like Anakin. But you're right, it was nice that he pointed it out. Based on what you've told me, it's a comment about how much she's changed since he first met her.
1: Tossing a handful of credits and letting the ensuing chaos cover their escape was exactly the kind of trick she'd learned from Anakin.
0: How great was the sound of Plo's lightsaber igniting when they were in the shit? Did they give each blade a distinctive sound?
1: I think they did. I think they all have slightly different sounds. At least maybe in dramatic moments like this, they may not bother doing it when there are dozens of lightsabers going at once.
0: I think it's pretty cool that they took the time to differentiate them.
1: That whole sequence was pretty sweet, and leading up to it, you got to see just how novice Ahsoka is with her powers. She's trying to eavesdrop on all the conversation in the bar and actually has to stand still and concentrate really hard to do it. A full Jedi Knight could do it easily and be much more covert, but she has to really exert some effort.
0: Her trying to listen in for some clue really reminded me of the episode of Smallville where Clark first gets his super hearing. He had to really focus in and wade through all of the noise just to get to what he needed. I know they weren't doing a tribute in any way to Smallville, but in my heart, they sure enough did. The drunk dudes in there were great too.
1: She finally does catch a lead by overhearing a conversation, which leads us to, while Plo and Ahsoka are doing their investigation, Ara Singh and her crew have taken the hostages to Florum and hooked up with Hondo Onaka and his pirates. Two things. Number one, first thing you see when they get to Florim is a group of wee pirates having a cockfight with a salacious crumb creature. It was pretty awesome.
0: That was fucking brilliant. A subtle sign that these aren't
1: good people. And two, Hondo and Ara Singh used to be a couple. How shocked were you by that? That old Hondo used to break some off in that space witch.
0: That was another one of those things that was shocking, and then I immediately wondered why. These two are both low-life, scumbag assholes. Of course he'd be knocking the bottom out of her pasty gash.
1: I thought it was cool to tie Hondo in with Django. It's cool to imagine a time and place where they were colleagues, even maybe pulling jobs together. I chuckled a little when he asked if boba was his kid even hondo knows she's trouble and barely tolerates her in his hq
0: yeah it gives it a bit of history which and i know this episode came before the eu purge but with that having happened the saga desperately needs that sort of depth
1: we get another example of how unstable she is not long after they arrive when Castus decides he's done with this caper and this crew. He's supposed to stay behind on Florum, but Ara overhears him on the vidphone, spilling his guts to an associate, and so in the middle of a crowded cantina puts a laser through his chest from across the room like it's no big deal.
0: Hondo was created specifically for the Clone Wars, right? And her killing Castus is yet another instance of true brutality. Damn, she is one heartless bitch. Hondo's reaction right after was perfect, too.
1: She is a true Psycho Killer. She does not give a fuck.
0: Psycho Killer.
1: Talking Heads reference? It wasn't an intentional Talking Heads reference, but you get points for calling it out.
0: I've played it far too many times on Rock Band. It's a great song.
1: That song is in Rock Band? Strange Choice.
0: There's a lot of strange choices in those games. A lot of shit I'd never consider rock,
1: but whatevs. What makes it creepier is the way she's smiling or sneering each time she's wasted someone in this episode. She is absolutely getting off on killing.
0: And it makes me wonder how long it'll be before he tells her, fuck this, I don't care if you knew my dad, get the fuck away from me. Because he clearly can't take much more. Hard to think she was once a Padawan, ain't it?
1: Padawan? Is that the EU creeping in?
0: It is. Go check her Wikipedia. Oh, real quick, back to Snips. When she and Plo landed in the depths of Coruscant, Did you hear the little automated woman say, move along, move along, over the loudspeaker? That made me laugh.
1: That move along didn't even register. I heard it, but I didn't even think anything of it until you said that. Fun fact, that Ticket Taker droid was voiced by Jamie King, who does the voice for R-Sing. Bonus fun fact, she is the wife of Kyle Newman, the director of Fanboys.
0: I knew it was Jamie King, but I didn't know that she was hitched to Newman. Fanboys was good shit. I remember following the Rocky development slash release of that. But that's a story for another time.
1: And here again you see Boba totally taken back by her. This time she blows away a member of their own crew. You've got to believe that by this point he's wondering what kind of future he has if this crazy bitch is in charge much longer. Hondo is 100% created for Clone Wars and voiced by Jim Cummings, the same dude that does Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. In case you can't tell, I'm obsessed with who does the voice acting in cartoons.
0: I thought he was a Clone Wars original. Folks seem to dig him, huh? I knew that was Cummings as well. If you listen real close you can hear the connection between Hondo and Tigger. Nobody likes watching cartoons with me, not only because I spend the whole time guessing who's voice and who, but because I have to watch the actor credits and see if I was right. You're amongst friends here, son.
1: I wasn't sold home on him at first, but after this arc and things that happened later in the series, he's become one of my favorite characters. As the series goes along, you'll see that his loyalties and morals shift based on the situations, but you get the impression that at the heart of it, he's not that bad of a guy. He's much more like Landor or Han than he would appear on the surface. You kind of see that with how he handles Boba Fett. He will make several more appearances before the series wraps up, and I was very happy that, spoilers, he does survive the series, so we may see him pop up in the future. It'd be great if he was still operating during the time of Rebels.
0: You can see his shifting morals just in the first two seasons. He lets Anakin and Obi-Wan go in season one, and they part on relatively decent terms. Season 2, when Hondo's shaking down the farmers, he shows respect, but he is ready to kill Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka to get what he wants. In this episode, as he walks Plo and Ahsoka into the trap, he makes sure to warn them because he doesn't want to fuck them over and get caught up in someone else's bullshit, even somebody he did and continues to care about. That's very much like Han's art throughout A New Hope.
1: Right, I like how he welcomed the Jedi and was like, hey, just so you know, you're about to get fucked by some bounty hunters. They already knew that, obviously, and even says, well, just so you remember, I warned you. Even somebody like Hondo doesn't want to make an enemy of the Jedi.
0: Exactly, because while there is some honor amongst thieves, he knows if the council unloaded their might on him and his crew, his crew would tuck tail and feed him to the wolves just to protect their own asses.
1: So Plo and Ahsoka arrive to try and get them to release their hostages and come quietly. We all know that's not going to happen, and she even has Boss holding the hostages at a remote location waiting for her signal to off them. Speaking of Boss, before we get into the final fight, I want to talk about him for just a minute. This arc is the first time we see him in Clone Wars, and the first time ever that we hear him speak. I remember the lead up to his appearance and being really excited to see him, but wasn't expecting to actually hear his voice. I was shocked to hear him talk, and it was cool to see how they animated his face and mouth, since the only thing we'd seen up to this point was the motionless rubber mask in Empire. What'd you think?
0: I'm not sure when I first saw this episode if I even realized who he was or how cool it was that they used him. Keep in mind, this was still early in my Star Wars fandom. But now? Fuck, that's cool. It was totally unnecessary to put him in, but the fact that they did shows just how much George and Co. grew to care.
1: Yeah, boss being in this group with Boba Fett is where it first clicked for me that, oh shit, those aren't individual bounty hunters we see in Empire, that's Boba Fett's crew. I always assumed they were just solo contractors working for their own game, but they make it clear, and even more so in a later episode, that those dudes all work in the same gang and Boba's in charge.
0: That's what I wanted to ask you about, because you've mentioned that to me before. In later episodes, do they specifically say those fuckers were on the crew busting skulls and on Boba's command?
1: They never come right out and say that those guys in Empire are all Boba's crew, but you do get to see more instances of these guys all working together as a team, almost like Ocean's Eleven or something. And at some point, yes, I think in this series it's clear that Boba's in charge, or at least you can see his balls getting bigger, and you can see how at some point he's going to take control. I think the next time you see him, he's involved with Cad Bane, and I honestly thought by the end of the series it would be Boba Fett knocking him off and taking charge of the gang. And maybe that was the plan, and they never got to show it.
0: Little baby Boba's balls drop? glad they started showing it.
1: Okay, so at this point, Plo Koon attempts to do the Jedi thing and negotiate with Aura, but that goes south real quick. They're pissed right from the start that it wasn't Mace that came to floor so this meetup is immediately doomed. When the shit hits the fan, lightsabers ignite and blasters start shooting. In the end, it looks like Aura and Boba will escape, but Plo Koon snatches Boba with the force, and even though Boba begs Aura to help him, she chooses to save her own skin for now and leaves him behind. What did you think of this sequence? The fight was pretty spectacular for being such a close quarters battle. Boba Fett being abandoned and the way he reacts with just disbelief that she left him there was surprisingly heartbreaking.
0: All the big flashy fight stuff is cool, but the real story is indeed told on Fett's face. The animation has really stepped up this season, especially in the facial animations. Because you can see the dawning realization set in of, Oh shit, mom left me. What am I going to do? And you're 100% right. It's heartbreaking, even though you know in 35 years he's going to be saying, you want that little Skywalker pussy's friend Han Solo? It's done, son. And yes, that's a direct quote.
1: The first step on Boba's journey to hard case is looking at his father's headless body. The second is absolutely this moment of abandonment where he realizes, wow, I can't count on anyone but myself now, can I?
0: Exactly, and it may be a case of he doesn't have dad around to protect him anymore as well. Even though he saw and held Django's head, a shock like that can take a while to set in, no matter how old. I also wonder if maybe she was unnecessarily cruel to try and toughen him up.
1: Were you surprised that they seemingly destroyed Slave One while Aura was inside making good her escape? I nearly shit myself the first time I saw Ahsoka jump onto the hood and flip over and slice off one of its wings. Holy shit. That
0: was the biggest shock for me. How many Slave Ones are there? Because you know that one is completely fucked all to hell.
1: Fucked all to hell, huh? Sure seems like that. Of course, it did just crash in the backyard of the galaxy's best salvage pirates.
0: I'm guessing by your response that they saved that one, but I would argue that as hard as it hit, they may be able to save some of it, but they'd need to find a new, and by new I mean salvage, ship to take a lot of parts from. I know that it all sort of breaks down into the old riddle of, if you darn a sock until all the original sock is gone, is it still the same sock or a new sock, but I feel it needs to be pointed out that that ship hit really fucking hard, man.
1: There's two questions I had after this episode. By the end of Season 5, one of them is answered.
0: What were those questions?
1: My two questions were, what happens to Slave 1 and is Ara Singh dead? You only get the answer to the first one. Not the details necessarily, but it does make a pretty awesome and unexpected reappearance in Season 5.
0: Okay, Mondo Mega Spoilers here. I've read that Hondo rescued her and salvaged Slave 1. She was in a bad way, but she survived. So she may pop up again in a novel or comic.
1: You got it, it's revealed to be Hondo's in Season 5. Let's just say some shit goes down and he has to make a quick getaway, and surprise, he uses Slave 1. It was pretty awesome. Everyone assumed that's what happened to it, but I was absolutely giddy when it appeared. Still unanswered is how Boba Fett gets it back, but I'm sure we'll find out at some point.
0: Rebels presents the perfect opportunity to show that. It's been more than enough time for Boba to become an accomplished pilot and take back what's his. But talk about balls. Took some mad balls for Ahsoka to jump up on the view screen and start stabbing into the flight deck.
1: For sure, she didn't even hesitate to jump on that ship. I thought the staging was great with her stabbing through the canopy and Aura firing blaster bolts back at her through the glass.
0: One might think that's a bit more of Anakin's training shining through.
1: And again, it took Hondo to talk Boba into giving up the location of the hostages. I like that he stepped up again and invoked Django's name to get him to do the right thing
0: put in a moral quandary to save the hostages does he want to hurt or help the colleagues of the man who killed his dad again heavy heavy shit for a kid that's like 10 or 12 at this point
1: so finally bosk and boba are captured and brought to justice back on coruscant and boba gets to confront mace windu kinda at last what did you think of that exchange i felt like this was the second time in one episode i wanted to punch mace windu in his stupid face also i felt like his response was basically like the writers couldn't think of something better so they were like meh just go with this For such a great arc and strong episode, it really ended with a thud.
0: Yeah, Mace totally needs a swift kick in the head. Dude just basically says, Life sucks and you die, you little prick, deal with it. Which sadly, based on what we said earlier, kinda fits Mace.
1: Yeah, there were several places over the years where this show felt rushed or out of time. Other times it felt like they ran out of time because they spent too much time dicking around with unimportant shit instead of getting to the point.
0: Time constraints are a creative killer on TV. They could have done an extended version for the DVD like they did with quite a few Season 1 episodes, but I guess they just felt this
1: was good enough. Pacing was always an issue with this series, but it was a learning process, and now with Rebels it seems like Felonian crew have taken those lessons and applied them well because so far every episode has felt satisfying.
0: I've seen the Yoda arc from Season 6 on YouTube, and it seemed pretty tight. But at that point, if they hadn't learned how to pace, then they never would have.
1: Oh yeah, by season 5, they pretty much had figured out the pacing problems and also abandoned the confusing nonsense of jumping around in the timeline.
0: That time jumping pissed me off. I always hoped they'd release a box set with everything in chronological order, but that seems doubtful now.
1: Someone, Pablo Hidalgo maybe, published a comprehensive timeline that puts all the episodes in order, so there was some hope that when the whole series set was released on Blu-ray, they'd be put in chronological order, but that didn't happen, so you're right. Seems unlikely at this point, but who knows.
0: Sad the way that they sort of just slammed the door shut on this series.
1: So any final thoughts on this episode or things we didn't bring up?
0: Nah, we covered everything I wanted to and so much more, sir.
1: Well then, I guess we can close the book for now on this episode of The Clone Wars. We'll have to do this again sometime. Depending on how long this ends up being, maybe we should take an entire arc next time.
0: Right on, you know I'm down. This has been a feature of JJ2E Media and TSDJA Productions.